So, Mark. Yes. This week's movie was among the first, if not the first, to really feature high school cheerleading as a focus. So I was wondering, what other underrepresented high school sport would you most like to see a movie based on? Well, it's not really a sport, but in middle school, not to brag, but in eighth grade, I was co-captain of the state champion academic team. Um, I believe that's been in a movie because Gabriela Montez is on that team in a high school musical. <laughs> yes, but it's not the focus. And I think a super campy version of high school quiz bowl team going to national champions could be kind of fun. You know the story of my high school quiz bowl team, right? Yes, I do. I think we've told it on the podcast before. Have we? It feels like we have, but I don't remember if I have. Long story short, high school quiz bowl is televised in the D.C. area, but my team was not allowed to go on because in the 1970s, someone mooned the camera and we were given a permanent ban that by the time I was in high school, we checked and confirmed it was still very much in effect. That's such an overreaction. Correct. But anyway, I think, I mean, that could be one of the scenes in the movie is someone mooning the camera and getting permanently banned from one of the other school teams. You could make it kind of almost American Pie-esque in having some horny teen escapades in a situation where that's not usually the case. Sure, yeah. What were you thinking? Was your quiz bowl team good? I mean, yeah, we were state champions. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah. How dare you? We won the state championship at the Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. Well, there you go. And it was the only time I've been to Milledgeville. It's a very fun word to say, which is why I feel I like it's have I feel like it. it's probably a happening place. I mean, it's mostly just a college town, I think. Makes sense. It is fun to say though, Milledgeville. Milledgeville. But yes, that was, you know, a highlight of my middle school career. So my answer is that my high school did not have this where I was growing up, but the first school that I worked at had a bowling team. Oh my god. And let me tell you, those kids were great. It was a like strange assortment of kids who wouldn't normally hang out. Already, the makings of a good movie. Of course, no normal school has a bowling alley on their campus, so they had to like go to this weird, dingy bowling alley. That was actually really close to where I lived. And so they would just like use a couple of the lanes for their bowling competitions. And I think that's what we need. <laughs> a movie that acknowledges how underappreciated the sport is, but they probably also never become... Le- like, they probably don't have that sport thing where, and then everyone realizes how great they are. They probably just, like, stay weird and on the side for the whole movie. Yeah, even if they are state champions, no one will appreciate them. Right. Or national champions. I think that sounds incredible, and we should get to work on the script. Yeah, let's let's get to work on that right away. Do you have an idea for a name for our bowling movie by any chance? Hmm. I will say, my first thought was the full Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. <laughs> buy the rights to the book just to use the name yeah basically or bowling together i mean you probably call it like the spares yeah something like that and it's like the kids and also they're bowling striking out sounds like a baseball romance it sounds like fever pitch <laughs> uh, gross <laughs> throw it away get as far from that as possible sorry my dude that's not going to be the last bad movie i invoke in this episode uh well Now that we have our project, I think we need to get this episode going so we can get to work. So, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the most important, unimportant question of our times. Namely, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? 
or even likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at the romance of Peyton Reed's 2000 high school cheerleading movie, Bring It On, starring Kirsten Dunst and Gabrielle Union. This is maybe the most down-the-line high school romance with no variation. Yes, and frankly, fairly half-baked. I will say, it was kind of nice to see a sports movie with a half-baked romance as a secondary or tertiary plot where the woman was the lead. Yeah, it is interesting. Because, like, when we talked about, like, the different kinds of romances we might hit on the show, one of the ones that was really firmly in my brain was, like, the sports movie with the thankless wife or girlfriend role. Like, I think about Elizabeth Banks in Invincible, who is just given nothing to do. And this isn't the same level of nothing, but Jesse Bradford is quite marginalized in this movie. Yeah, he really doesn't matter that much. And one thing I kind of appreciated about this movie is it doesn't really take popularity that much into account. Like, it's kind of there, but it doesn't feel like an obstacle to overcome where the idea that Cliff is a nerd and she's a cool cheerleader and their romance is forbidden. It's kind of just that she is attracted to him but has a boyfriend, and that's the main drama there. As opposed to, like, in 10 Things I Hate About You, where there's all that noise about, like, the popular people, the pretty people, don't talk to them unless they talk to you. But also the coffee lovers and the cowboys. And the cowboys. (laughs) Yeah, so this movie, it's interesting because I think this movie is very campy, and I think the romance is straight down the line on purpose. It knows what it's doing. It's not, like falling into tropes it's kind of parodying it in a way that is not obvious enough to be good parody if that makes sense i don't know how much i think you're right that it's deliberately campy i don't know that as far as the romance is going it's looking towards parody i think it's pretty sincere but i also don't think it gives it much time to be too too much at all besides mildly charming Yeah, the movie clearly does not really care about the romance. Yeah, like we said, it's directed by Peyton Reed, who we've talked about before because he directed Down With Love as his next movie. And these days he makes Ant-Man movies. How has he still not directed a musical? Because this movie also clearly wants to be a musical. Right, I mean, that's a thing he's talked about in interviews a lot, is that his movies are often structured a lot like musicals. He still hasn't, I don't get it. Honestly, though... Right now, he's working on Ant-Man 3, and there's a non-zero chance that after that, he makes a Fantastic Four movie. He's kind of in the Marvel golden handcuffs, which is keeping him from directing a musical. Yeah, I mean, Fantastic Four thing, he spent a chunk of the 2000s working on a treatment for Fox that they then didn't use. And so it does kind of feel like now that they're back at Marvel and he is in their good graces with the Ant-Man stuff, they might say like, okay, if you want to make your Fantastic Four, do it. So I think the solution is we need a Fantastic Four musical. Yes, it's the only possible option, honestly. They've tried everything else and none of it's worked. Yeah, I think that's the different tone we need to differentiate it from the Tim Story movies and the Josh Trank one. Ugh. Imagine a Marvel musical. Uh, they did. They turned off the dark. But in a movie form. Oh, yeah, I would watch a the Marvel crap out of movie it. musical. I mean, Ant-Man weirdly feels like the franchise that it would work best for, which makes sense because it's Peyton Reed. Yeah, his his milieu is movies that he wants to be musicals but can't convince others to let him make into musicals. Yeah. He didn't write the movie though. It's written by Jessica Bendinger. It's her first produced screenplay. She also has a writing credit on Jonathan Demme's The Truth About Charlie. She wrote First Daughter and Aquamarine, a truly terrible teen romance. What's that? Is that one about mermaids? It is about a mermaid. Yep. 
Uh, it's bad. Uh, she also did uncredited work as a script doctor on Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. Absolutely not. On the other hand, though, she wrote and directed Stick It, which is a really fun movie. Is that about gymnasts? It is. So it kind of feels like her zone is like teen girl sports movies. Yeah. Because I think this is pretty good and Stick It is really good. Yeah, this movie I really enjoyed. It's very fun. It's not, you know, a perfect movie. Obviously, Kirsten Dunst is incredible in this. She's fantastic. She's always good. And I actually thought that the movie's treatment of race was better than I would have expected for a movie from 2000. Okay, I also found this movie fun. I liked it. I am glad I watched it. I have a lot of thoughts about all of that, which basically boils down to we spent this movie watching the wrong team. Yes, exactly. So that's the problem, and this movie is about the wrong team, and I'm glad that the right team wins in the end. Right, the Clovers clearly deserve to win, but it's the kind of situation where, like, it should have just been about them. Yes. Because what we've got is a story about the... It's an overdog story for the first chunk of the movie. And then it turns out that they have built their success by robbing from their black peers. And so then they need to build themselves back up so that they can succeed again. And then they don't. And then they don't, which is good. Right. But it it does feel like the more interesting story is in these people who have constantly been denied their recognition, decide to stand up for themselves at that football game, and then continue going and then win. Because underdog stories are fun. Right. There's also the factor of, like, the Toros have so many built-in advantages that neuter a lot of what's going on in the story. Like, we spend a lot of time on, like, okay, they decide that they're not going to use the Clover's routine, so then they say, all right, we've got to get something new, so they hire the choreographer. We have the whole choreography sequence. Then we have regionals, and they do all that, and then they get in trouble. Oh, no, they've broken the rules. The problem is that none of that matters because they have a guaranteed spot to nationals because they won the previous year. Right. So, like, we have all of these obstacles being thrown in their way that actually are of no significance. And more importantly, everybody involved should know that they're of no significance because all those people must be familiar with the rules enough to know that by winning nationals, they get a guaranteed slot the next year. So there's actually no stakes to those choices. Whereas if we're following the Clovers, they are actually fighting to get their recognition. Nothing really matters for the Toros until they get to nationals. And the montage of them getting ready for that is actually pretty short. Right. What I appreciated about this movie, though, is I really like the message that you can't be the best unless you are competing with everyone on an equal footing. The idea that the Toros and Kirsten Dunst is the one that kind of pushes this for her team. The idea of the Toros, a lot of them are like, well, we should just rest on our laurels. We are the best. But because of the structural racism of the cheer world, there's no level playing field. So they're only competing against a small section of the sport. And when they actually are able to compete against other teams, like teams outside of the norm, it's proven that they're not the best and that they have never been the best. But because of the failures of the system, they have been awarded. But you are correct that this movie should be about the Clovers, obviously. It just feels like once you engage with it, a lot of this movie lacks significance and could have a lot if you were to do the Clovers. Like I said, underdog movies are fun. Right. They're a staple of the sports genre. Yeah, so this movie would definitely benefit from that. But I did appreciate that that message of just like, you need to actually level the playing field and understand that 
these people have been taken advantage of for years and deserve taken advantage of by them right yeah by them and that the other team does deserve their shot but you shouldn't give it to them out of pity they like have earned it they're not just like getting pity and they don't want pity they have trying to earn their spot and prove that they are the best and they are but this movie would be so much better if it was about Gabrielle Union. Yeah. Um, this is our fourth Gabrielle Union movie that we've done, along with Love and Basketball, 10 Things I Hate About You, and Deliver Us From Eva. And this is far and away her best performance in them. Uh, definitely. She is She's fantastic. In- fantastic in this movie. Everyone on that team is really good. I love Janelope, the aggressive one who always wants to fight. Yes, she's great. Um, How old was she? in this movie i mean this is another one of those movies where like everyone's pretty much a teenager like between 17 and 20 right so 2008 no she was 28 who was 28 gabrielle union she was born in 1972 is she really wow so she's quite a bit older than the rest of the cast right i thought she was because she was she played eva only two years later that's true that makes sense wow she just looks young because she doesn't stand out no, she feels like a little older than high school in the way that high schoolers in movies are usually a little older than high school. Right. Kirsten Dunst is 18 in this movie, though. Yeah. But yeah, so most of the people are actual teenagers, but it's interesting because they look similar to high school actors that are not teenagers. They're right on that bubble. Yeah. Except for the um, sister of the cheerleader who is... <laughs> who looks like she's 11. She looked... 11 i was like what are you doing here you child i think it's like tiffany's sister who they're trying to just rig the audition process so that she can get on the team she clearly has not put any work into it um i'm looking at the the cast and it's clearly not tiffany because there's nobody with that name uh, uh whitney whitney yeah um i love nicole bilderback's performance there because she's doing a great like dance mom watching her sister oh yeah she's really fun in this but the sister looks like she's 11 yeah it was a weird casting i know she's supposed to be a freshman but it was still like the problem is because everyone else is a little bit older than they should be right she looks even younger by comparison right she might have been like 14 right it's possible that she's the correct age but she just also looks really young it's worth noting that the actors had to audition with a cheer prepared. So, like, Mark, if you were going to audition for this movie, you would have to come up with and present a cheer in your audition. I mean, that's a good idea. Peyton Reed said it was because they, like, needed to make sure people had baseline rhythm. Right. But also kind of intimidating. <laughs> I love watching the cheers in this movie because the actual actors that we follow and care about are never that front and center in the cheers. It's always the background characters who are clearly actually talented cheerleaders that are, like, at the front of the formations. Yeah, the leads are in some of it. They all had to go to a four-week cheerleading camp, but that's going to get them the rhythm. That's going to get them some of the tone. It's not going to get the full-on acrobatics and tosses that they do in the routines. Right. I did enjoy this movie, but boy, did they use the word fag a lot. Yes. And that definitely made me uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it's a movie that is fun, but shows its age in some uncomfortable ways. Yes. It is definitely 20 years old. And sort of specifically from that time, because that's exactly the window where that particular language would have been so like cool edgy in the framing of some people. Right. And I do appreciate that they show that cheerleaders aren't all gay, but they're also not all straight in the movie. Yes, there is uh, a nice exclusively gay moment where right. those guys flirt. Right. I really enjoyed my sexuality is 
controversial. Which I took to mean something far weirder than simply gay. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel too. He's probably bi, which at that time was considered probably very strange. Oh, I was going to say it's like the 30 Rock thing with James Franco where he's dating a pillow. Well, we do know he is at least attracted to men by the end. That's true. Um, I do need to take a moment and discuss the hair in this movie. It's painful. The first scene where Torrance has like her tiny little hair loops with the locks of hair just sticking out at the back of her head. I wanted to throw up. It's funny because in the last several months, as I've been sitting home and not leaving, I've been watching lots of old seasons of Survivor. And a couple weeks ago, I watched season two, which filmed in the fall of 2000. And I was making a lot of jokes about the outfits that these people were wearing. And it was funny that to watch a movie from 2000 and be like, oh, these are the same clothes. Yeah, the amount of midriffs in this movie. And also midriffs bounded by terrible clothes on either end. (laughs) Right. You were always seeing at least one belly button in every scene, even when they're not in cheer uniforms. So that said, of course, this this is a 2000 release. This movie opened on August 25th with $17 million in first place, and it ultimately grossed $68 million against its $11 million budget. So it's a nice little hit for Peyton Reed. And of course, helped to accelerate the careers of a bunch of young stars like Kirsten Dunst, Gabrielle Union, Eliza Dushku. I feel like Kirsten Dunst is a rare example of a very talented child actor, very talented teen actor, and very talented young adult actor, and now very talented actor, like, how old is she? Like, mid-30s? An actor in her mid-30s, or... 40s uh i think she's 40 this year maybe okay like she has never had a phase. she's born 80 or oh no maybe she's born 82 so she's in her 30s she's never had a phase where she like dipped in talent if that makes no sense. she's great she's always yeah. been good since she was like 10 this is only the second time we've discussed her along with spider-man 3 i love her so much and she's, she's great engaged to jesse plemons who is a big old cutie yeah who is a very good actor too and is a big old cutie but she's just so fun in this movie and really the thing is no one in this movie is giving a very naturalistic performance no that's not the tone and i think she does that the best where she is just playing that space that's just off of normal like just off of natural in a very fun way just off of normal feels like a comedian's memoir gross (laughs) like it does you just pitched the title of a comedian's memoir i did didn't i uh And it's got, like, a picture of them, like, leaning on their chin on the cover. Yeah. And maybe they're wearing a goofy hat. No one should do the leaning on their hand anymore ever since Bossy Pants. I think Tita Fey really, like, perfected that, and it didn't need to be done after. It's just so uniform. It is. But anyway, I really like how fast Torrance and Missy become friends. Where yeah, which is a like, kind of thing that happens. does happen in high school. Yeah, it does happen. And at first, everyone's like, oh, Missy's so... Also, they use the word dyke a lot in this movie, too, uncomfortably. Where she's, like, so edgy and cool and she can't be popular. And Torrance is just like, no, she's now, she's now my best friend after five minutes. So by default, popular. Right. Missy is a really interesting character in this. She is. Her character journey is strange. <laughs> it's not really a journey <laughs> so much as it is like two or three points that you can kind of plausibly dot a line between. Right. Also, I love the edgy gymnast. Like, 
What an interesting idea for a character. I would follow her being a goth gymnast. You need to watch Stick It. I do. That sounds about right. Which is like about this gymnast who's got a complicated relationship with the sport and with other people in the sport and her tough coach, a pre-Iron Man, Jeff Bridges. That sounds great. It is. It's good. But back to Bring It On. All of the characters in this movie are so weird. Yes. There's not like the audience surrogate type character. Every character has some strange quirk. In a way, we don't need an audience surrogate because Torrance is so welcoming to new people that she meets that she effectively welcomes us into the movie too. Right. I agree. You definitely don't need it, but it is kind of interesting to see. There's no, like, in 10 Things I Hate About You, which is also all the characters are kind of strange. I don't like him, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is still kind of supposed to be the everyman. He's the audience surrogate. Right. But in this movie, you just have Torrance as the lead who kind of just brings you in i guess isis is the most kind of natural character but because we spend so little time with her she can't be our focal point i watched the trailer for this this morning after having seen the movie and it's interesting that there's clearly a bunch of stuff that they shot that didn't make it into the movie like we more training sessions with the clovers the trailer really frames it as a rivalry movie which it isn't and also there's a shot in the trailer of isis gabrielle union making out with somebody which is not a thing that made it into the movie. Yeah. There's no male characters of note on the Clovers, unlike on the Toros. It also took me until the like national scene to figure out where their high school was supposed to be. San Diego. Right. I don't know why. Could, uh, when they did the car wash, it was on the entrance to the marina. Oh, okay. Oh, the car wash scene. So strange. <laughs> the relationship between Missy and Cliff is kind of weird. It is quite weird. <laughs> I don't really understand why it's so weird, but there's something just off about it. Are they twins? They're twins because they're in the same grade. Right. So we've got Eliza Dushku and Jesse Bradford. Missy becomes Kirsten Dunn's best friend. Cliff, Jesse Bradford, is her flirty boy. Right. End of movie boyfriend. Implied. (laughs) Right. I guess. We actually, we should just start talking about the romance because this is pretty weird. Yeah. I think it'll be good to get into it. (laughs) Yeah. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to work through all of the romance that's going on. So this week to talk about the romance of Bring It On, we have to start on the day the movie starts when Kirsten Dunst Torrance, her boyfriend Aaron, comes to pick her up. So I'm kind of confused. So it was the first day of high school, but he hadn't gone off to college yet. Right. So clearly what's going on, it's an odd structure, is that he is still around when high school starts. He gives her a ride to school. They also have not yet officially determined who the captain of this coachless cheerleading team will be. Yeah. There are no adults around. No. It seems like they should have money, but they have to provide their own uniforms and have no coach. So this cheerleading They're the five-time champions. Is a five-time champion with no coach. When Nick and I were watching this, I was talking about how a lot of schools kind of have a self-fulfilling prophecy-esque approach to sports. So this school has a five-time champion cheerleading squad and a football team that has never won a game. So I was talking about how, you know, one sport gets good and then the school 
puts all their funding into it, and then it continues to be good, and so the other sports kind of suffer as a result. And then we were watching this, and I was talking about that, and then Nick goes, yeah, but this team has no coach and no funding, and somehow they're still good. So I don't really know what's going on here. And it just it's makes pretty no confusing. Sense. Apparently the captain is responsible for making the cheers, coaching everyone, training them in, gymna- in essentially gymnastics. You should have adults when you're throwing children around. Especially because they're always doing it just on a hardwood floors. Like they hold when they have the auditions and Missy is like flipping around, she is on unsprung hardwood with no mats. It makes no sense. Where are the safety precautions in this movie? Nowhere because the children are in charge. Oh my god, it's so painful to watch. Also, the announcer at the finals when he's like talking about how sexy all of the contestants are. I'm like, sir, these are children. Please yeah. stop talking. It's weird. All right. Anyway, so they um <laughs> So Aaron picks up Torrance. It's her older boyfriend. He's going to college, but he comes to pick her up for the first day of school. She tries to kiss him and he's like, nah, I can't Mac on you in front of the parentals to show you that he's a douchebag. Oh, he's awful. But her parents are reassuring themselves, like, don't worry, he's going off to college. We won't have to deal with him. Which I like as a lens into these parents where they're like, God, this person is terrible. Yeah. So he drops her off and he doesn't stay for practice, which he's hoping, because they announce the winner of the vote for captain. And he's like, you're a shoe in Don't worry about it. But no, I'm not going to like go and watch you win. Right. Which also kind of makes sense. If he has orientation that day, he should probably go to the college. He's got to go up to Cal State Dominguez. <laughs> they said that and Nick reacted very strongly. And I was just like, okay i know nothing about that school but i think i gathered some information from how you felt about it and he's going on about how like yeah she'll just follow him there and it'll be just like high school when they date there only this time they'll have dorms it's so weird he's a bad dude yeah anyway torrance goes to i guess it's like homeroom or something i think it's a study hall study hall because this happens in other movies and stuff too but the bell rings class starts They talk the whole class, which is about five minutes, and then the bell rings again and they leave. No instruction. All the time in movies. (laughs) The teacher doesn't say anything. It's so bizarre. Class lasts five minutes. It's the funniest thing. Yes, and so she meets Cliff, played by Jesse Bradford, who I know as Ryan, the annoying intern from the West Wing. I kind of recognize him, but I have no idea from where, because I looked at his filmography and I was like, I don't remember any of these things. He's fun on West Wing. He did an arc on season five. Yeah, so he is the new kid, so he gets bullied by the football players, who have a superiority complex that is not earned i have worked at a school that was like that where our football team went like one in nine but the football players were very intense about their team and respecting the team they had a big rivalry with the soccer team which was actually good anyway he goes off about how like oh the loser sneeze is over you're not cool anymore loser yeah and then the guy just does it again and the other football players like huh nice joke you showed him. Yeah, but Torrance is impressed. Yes, and he flirts with Torrance, talks about being intimidated by her advanced chemistry textbook. There's an argument that Torrance has with her mom at the start of the movie where her mom's like, your schedule's pretty light. And Torrance is like, would it get you off my back if I took advanced chemistry? And her mom's like, it would help. And then that plot line is never revisited. Yeah, shouldn't we have heard something about advanced chemistry later? I mean, it's the kind of thing that feels like it could be setting up a... 10 things I hate about you situation where like Cliff helps her with her advanced chemistry, but that doesn't happen. 
Right, or there's some sort of conflict about her failing, and thus her parents won't let her go to nationals. Right, it feels like a thing that is going to matter, but never does. Right. But anyway, she does ask him if his shirt is for his band. And it is a shirt for The Clash. He is such a stereotype of pop punk in 2000. Like, his music, his outfits, everything about him. What I like about him is that he's into that music while still being just like... Very friendly. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not doing the cat in 10 Things I Hate About You where he's like, and also I need to show that I am apart from society. He's like, no, just like, hang out, play guitar. Yeah, he's very chill. He's just a nice guy. Yeah, I like him. Well, he's barely a <laughs> barely a person. And that helps. Yeah. So then they have auditions to replace the cheerleader that Torrance's first decision as <laughs> captain at her first ends in the hospital at her first practice as captain she's like we're gonna do this kind of pyramid and everyone's like you're kidding that's like the hardest thing and she's like right and we're gonna do hard things and because there's no adult around to question this decision they do it and one of her friends falls and smashes her leg and face i did love the shot where she's just like don't worry guys i feel great i'll be back at practice tomorrow and then they lift the stretcher and she's got like a full neck brace on and her face is just bloody and she's like i'm a quick healer i'll be back anytime quick healer <laughs> and then she has broken i'm her a leg quick healer is such a wonderful high school line it's so funny because she's shattered her leg and she thinks she'll be back at practice in no time but then she's not offended when they replace her and is super supportive of the team still yeah because people in this movie are mostly good yeah there's no actual bad person in this movie except for aaron except for aaron who We'll get to this, but is cheating on her the whole time and is such a huge dick. And sabotages her. Yeah. Anyway, so Missy gets the spot on the team after Torrance really advocates for her. Right. So she is not personality-wise a cheerleader, but Torrance recognizes that they need her talent as a gymnast to win. So she convinces her to join the team, but finds out (gasps) Cliff and Missy are siblings. Whoa! Yep. That takes us to point two. <laughs> point two. The first football game. You're like totally his eye candy. God, I can't believe you'd do that to Aaron. Do what? Especially with him. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, don't play dumb. We're better at it than you. You're having cheer sex with him. So they're doing their cheerleading thing at the game, doing their routines. Cliff has come to watch them, but when they are not cheering, is just sitting reading a book in the stands. Yeah, makes sense. I'm surprised other people aren't doing the same because the school only cares about the cheerleaders, to be honest. When I was in the pep band in high school, we playing at basketball games. Our guys team was really bad. Our girls team was good. And we would just like openly play apples to apples during the guys games when we weren't playing our instruments. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the best thing we ever did. But... Yikes, Will. So... Anyway, during the cheers, though, they make very intense eye contact the whole time. Yes, the other cheerleaders accuse her of having cheer sex with him and cheating on Aaron. Right, because Aaron had been a cheerleader, so they all know him. Right, exactly. And then after that, Torrance goes over to have a sleepover with Missy, and... Torrance goes looking for the bathroom and finds her way to Cliff's room and watches through the room as he thrashes around on his guitar. Yeah, he's playing his 
<laughs> Blink-182 cover music, essentially. The music of this movie felt like growing up. It did. It was very interesting. It was just the music that was the background of our lives. Very much so. I also love, there's a lot of this in the movie where there's so many threads that sound interesting and never come up. Like how Missy's parents are at a gala and will pour themselves into their bed at 5 a.m. Right, who are these people? I want to hear more about them. And they're never on screen. I was just like, her parents sound insane. I want to meet them. Yeah, I feel like their dad is played by Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, there's just so, there's like a lot of that kind of thing in this movie of just vague throwaway lines that sound interesting and are never followed up on. Which is kind of cool in the sense that it has that Star Wars quality of suggesting a larger world. <laughs> the, the, the the Rancho Grande extended universe. And there are some places where I think it's missing. Like, I think the chemistry conversation with Torrance's mom doesn't suggest a larger world so much as it suggests an unfulfilled conflict that should be coming up or like what we see of the clovers suggests like maybe we should just be watching a movie about them yes exactly so anyway then um she watches him thrash around on his guitar then we see them flirting in the bathroom yes while they're both brushing their teeth they're like having a competition effectively to see who can brush their teeth the longest yeah because one of them will spit like they're done but the other one's continuing to brush so then they'll be like all right i'll put my toothbrush back in my mouth and keep brushing right and so you can tell she's starting to feel kind of conflicted about her feelings about cliff at this point so the next morning when she wakes up she grabs the phone and calls her boyfriend aaron who for the first time in a while answers the phone right he's been ignoring her very intensely and like it's a pre-cell phone era for these kids so like it's plausible but not great because presumably he has not been reaching out to her as he should right so he talks to her on the phone and is not very nice or anything to her it's kind of uncomfortable to watch and then we see that he is in bed with another woman and when asked who was on the phone he says that it's his sister yeah so he's gross yeah, he's a bad man. Point three. Takes us to point number three. Hey, Torrance, come here a sec. We'll just get this over with. My brother wants to check out your rack. You know, I begged my mom for a brother. He'd look a little ridiculous in that bikini, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cliff and Torrance continue to flirt around through their lives. As Torrance is overseeing the cheer team, this is when they hire the choreographer to give them a new routine based on advice she gets from Aaron. Aaron's the one who gives her the phone number to call up this choreographer. And also in here at one point, Cliff is talking to Torrance on a swing set about how he knows she's working really hard and he knows what she's going through with all the challenges she's facing. And then they almost kiss. Like they get their, their mouths are almost touching. Yeah. And then she opens out. <laughs> obviously it's not just like their faces have gotten really close together in an intense conversation like their mouths are open yeah they are leaning in they are at the like 10 percent that hitch talks about right oh unrelated but it's kind of around here where you get with the skippy or whatever his name is scene this really brings out the change in beauty standards from 2000 because when he's going down the line and he gets to darcy he's like oh you have a great face you're beautiful and then leans over and shows that she has a big butt and is like but that's disgusting it needs to go away whereas i saw that happen and i was like oh he's gonna compliment her on that because that's very much like right now darcy's clearly the hottest of all of them 
I mean, she also takes flack about that in the locker room at the beginning of the movie as they are voting on who the next captain should be. There are some obnoxious comments made about her butt. Right. And it's very interesting because I, I see her and I'm like, she's by far the most attractive of these women. Oh, Sparky is played by Ian Roberts of the UCB4. Oh, yeah. He's a very strange character. It's a very strange character. Speaking of strange characters who flit into this movie, it's worth noting that the mime is played by Peyton Reed. <laughs> I love that scene. It makes no sense. And again, it feels like we should spend more time on all of that than we do on the regionals routine, because the regionals routine doesn't matter because they're going to nationals anyway. Right. <laughs> but this brings us to point four, the regionals. Hey! You're a great cheerleader, Tor, and you're cute as hell. It's just that maybe... <sighs> Maybe you're just not captain material, and there's nothing wrong with that. So they are about to go up, but the team before them does the exact same routine because we find out Sparky has been selling this routine to at least six schools up and down the California coast. Whoopsie. And while there's nothing in the rules specifically about hiring a choreographer, and you know every school's doing it, so they can't disqualify them, but otherwise they would have been disqualified because it's very frowned upon yeah it's also worth noting that at regionals Aaron, the boyfriend has come to see regionals and is sitting right in front of cliff so that when she waves she's waving at both of them and when she blows a kiss they both take it and Aaron is just like yes of course and cliff is like oh look a kiss blown for me yeah and then they have the whole issue like you said with the choreography and Aaron comes up and talks to her about it and he's like hey you know I love you you're great maybe you're not captain material maybe you should just step down and let some of the other girls manage the team Ugh, it's so disgusting yeah because he's a turd it's very reminiscent of the boyfriend in legally blonde where he just thinks he's so much better than her and smarter and treats her so condescendingly and you're just very happy when he goes away it's very much that like stereotype of the person who views love as condescending yeah and then when he drops her off after regionals he gives her an incredibly awkward kiss yeah Where she's clearly not into it because she's feeling betrayed by him, as she should. Yeah, she should have dumped him right there. Yeah, but then Cliff is waiting outside her door with flowers and a cassette tape that he made for her of him singing to her. Yeah, it's very sweet. And she- It's very sweet. Is very into the music. More than I would have been. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was fun. But he's also upset because he saw Aaron kissing her in the car. So they get into a fight. Point five. <laughs> so, well, she's in a she's in a fight with Cliff, and she does then go to college to break up with Aaron for yes. selling her out. Because oh, the next day he has sold her out to her rivals on the team. Right. He called them up and was like, "Hey, Torrance is going to step down." Right. Which is outrageous. It's awful. And then the two of them, what is it, Courtney and Whitney? Yeah, are saying that they're just going to pull out of nationals and give up for the year. But then Torrance gives the, we can do it. We're going to choreograph our own routine speech. And that's when you get the montage. Uh, which takes us to point five. The last lift you did was amazing. Thanks. Hey, good luck out there. Thanks, man. I'm Les. I'm, I'm Tim. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'll, I'll uh, see you around. Yeah. <laughs> which in the plot of the movie is Nationals. But that doesn't really have anything to do with romance, so we just kind of have a vague resolution. Yeah, I don't really get how the resolution happens. Well, she tells Cliff she liked the tape and that she broke up with Aaron. And then at Nationals, 
after they come in second, she kisses him. The and that end. is it. <laughs> like, this movie puts in so little effort to resolving its trumped-up conflict. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a conflict that shouldn't really exist, and it puts no effort into resolving it. Actually, this is a conflict that I believe would exist. Because she's been flirting with him while having a boyfriend. That's a real conflict. I believe in that. I'm surprised that he apparently didn't know about the boyfriend at all. That it hadn't come up in conversation at any point. Yeah. Because, for example, like, when Missy asked Torrance, are you flirting with my brother or do you have a crush on my brother or whatever, Torrance's reply was, no, I have a boyfriend. So it feels like the kind of thing that is just casually discussed enough that it shouldn't have been a surprise. Right. But it's definitely, I would say it's one of the less, like, made-up conflicts in high school movies. But anyway, after watching all of Bring It On, do you find the romance believable? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're teens who are flirting. Like I said, I don't really buy the, the conflict that much, and I think the resolution barely exists. So I don't know. What do you think? Sure. Ish? They get along really well, and clearly her romance with Aaron is falling apart outside of their flirting. Right. So, I guess? He makes her a tape, and she likes it? Where would you rate this on our 10-point scale, where zero means you believe none of it, and 10 means you believe all of it? Maybe like a six. That is what I was thinking as well. More believable than unbelievable, but... But there's a lot that we need. Yeah. Do you find Cliff or Torrance dateable? Broadly, yes. It's kind of hard to answer because, like we said, they're not real people. The way the movie is made out, they don't feel like natural characters. I think Cliff very much so is dateable. I mean, he's just a nice, friendly guy. Yeah. (laughs) That is his role, and he does it well. Right. I think Torrance is too, though. I think so. It's just, yeah. I don't think I would date either of them, but <laughs> they are dateable. Do you think they would stay together? At least through graduation. Yeah, I think through high school, but maybe not super long beyond. Depends on if they go to the same college or not as part of yeah. it. Now, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Probably Missy. Yeah? Yeah. She's just cool. Does her thing. I'm really impressed with her gymnastics. I think it is probably Cliff for me. Yeah. Or less. He's just a nice guy. That he is. That's basically his whole character. He's a nice guy with a controversial sexuality. All right, Mark. Our last question is, many of the movies we have covered on this podcast have been turned into stage musicals. Do you think that Bring It On should be made into a stage musical? Only if it's about the Clovers, but I think that could be fun. Well, in Atlanta in 2011, a Bring It On musical premiered before then moving on to Broadway, featuring music by Tom Kitt and Lin-Manuel Miranda and lyrics by Amanda Green and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh my god. This is a post in the Heights pre-Hamilton Miranda. The musical plotline is almost nothing like the movie. Hmm. So for starters, they make the excellent choice of changing the lead character's name from Torrance to Campbell. Torrance is such a weird name. It's a weird name. Is she like named for like... That's the family from The Shining, right? Yeah, that's the only Torrance I can think of. Yeah. So she's probably named for, like, Jack Nicholson and The Shining. Um, In the musical, like, the beginning of it starts with she becomes captain at the end of a school year, which seems to make sense, then goes to camp, like, does her whole thing, is, like, excited about the year, and then comes back to learn that she has been redistricted into a new school. Oh, and also, early on, they also do tryouts for the next year, and she, like, sticks up for this shy sophomore girl to get on the team and puts her in like a minor leadership role where she's like third in line to be captain kind of like fourth in the hierarchy yeah so that she comes back from camp learns that she's been redistricted to an inner city school without a cheer squad she like joins the dance squad there 
they convert it to a cheer team and they like do cheerleading stuff. They go to nationals where they don't do super well because the stuff they do is very cool, but does not follow the rules of cheerleading. So they just find success in themselves. The weird thing that's going on is that that sophomore girl winds up as the captain at the old school because the two other people, one of them is academically disqualified because her grades get too low and the other one gets mono and can't participate. And it turns out that this sophomore is like the arch villain where like her mom is on the districting board and like drew the district lines to get rid of the captain. And then this girl hacked the school computers to lower the one girl's oh my grades God. and then deliberately gave the other girl mono. And this is a musical. Oh my God. That is a completely different story. Yes. I think what they should do is remake Bring It On to be about the Clovers and still cast Gabrielle Union and Kirsten Dunst, but everyone else is an actual high schooler. Good. I think they should be playing high schoolers at their current age, but everyone else is around them is a high schooler. You know, I wish you luck. I'll just call Peyton Reed. Okay, I think that probably does it, though, for Bring It On. Next week, we will be talking about a movie I can only imagine won't be problematic at all. Sinbad and the Seven Seas, maybe? I think it's Legend of the Legend Seven Seas. Legend of the Seven Seas, which is, in theory, based off of a story from the Arabian Nights. But if I remember correctly, the villain is a Greek goddess. So, we'll see. I have never seen it, but it is the last of the DreamWorks 2D animated movies after Prince of Egypt, Road to El Dorado, and Spirit. Stallion of the Cimarron. Cimarron, Stallion of the Spirit? Something like that. Well, until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular help other people to find the show. All right, Will, what's the best piece of dating advice you got from Bring It On? I'm going to say just say hello and good luck to people, because that seems to work for Les, who has his nice flirty moment with Tim before Nationals. I was just going to say personalized mixtape, baby. Hey! It always works. Remember mixed CDs? Uh, what a world. The only one who's ever made me a mixed CD was my friend Reed. Shout out to Reed. I was going to offer to make you a mixed CD, and then I realized that I would not do that. And I also don't have a CD player. <laughs> I don't have a disk drive on my computer. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye!